Michael Bargary is the co-founder and CTO of Zenity, where he helps companies secure their low-code, no-code apps. In the past, he headed security product efforts at Azure focused on IoT, APIs, and infrastructure as code. Michael's passionate about all things related to cloud, SaaS, and low-code security, and spends his time finding ways they could go wrong. He also leads the OWASP Low-Code Security Project and writes about it on Dark Reading. Michael's a regular conference speaker at OWASP B-Size DEF CON. Michael joins us to unpack low-code, no-code, and the new OWASP Top 10 that defines specific risks against low and no-code. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Michael Bargary. The Application Security Podcast is brought to you by Security Journey. We help enterprises reduce vulnerabilities through application security education for developers and everyone in the SDLC. Learn more at securityjourney.com. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Application Security Podcast. This is Chris Romeo, Chief Security Officer at Security Journey and also co-host of the Application Security Podcast. I'm also joined today by my good friend, Robert Hurlbut. Hey, Robert. Hey, Chris. Yeah, Robert Hurlbut here, and I am a principal application security architect at Acquia, and very excited about this topic uh, we're going to be talking about today. It's something I've been hearing about, seeing as well in the wild, if you will, and so very, very cool, very cool topic. Yeah, and you you just got back from Global AppSec, right, in San Francisco, so what was your kind of general impressions of that? Well, it was uh, it was a great time, of course, to be out there again. I think it's three years since they met in person. And so to see a number of uh, folks that I already knew and meet new people as well, I think they had a really good turnout of new people for this conference. I know they had a time where they asked for people to hold up hands and there was, wow, it was, it was, it was a good packed audience of, of people who were the first time, first timers. Um, and this topic also, this, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, low code, no code uh, came up as well in some talks and some folks I talked to. So excited. Excellent. Excellent. Glad to hear that the conference went well. And uh, Michael, we've made you wait long enough. Uh, and so we, we, we'd like to jump right in, though. We don't give our guests any time to warm up. We go right to the security origin story because our listeners are literally on the edge of their seat waiting to hear. Michael, how did you get started in application security? Yeah, so uh, first of all, thank you for uh, thank you for kind of inviting me here. I'm really excited. Uh, was really excited to do this. So I actually started with uh, cybersecurity when I was young. Um, when I uh, in, in kind of in, in high school, we had uh, people from the industry come into my high school and actually, actually teach us uh, about hacking. Like they would give you an application and 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 show you how to do SQL injection, all sorts of stuff. Uh, I actually had the opportunity to learn from Adisha Rabani, who's today the CTO for SNCC, uh, used to be the uh, uh, the CEO of SkyQ. So um, that was kind of a really fortunate opportunity for me. Later on, as many Israelis do, uh, I spent some time at the, at the IDF. Uh, and later I spent several years at Microsoft, which actually kind of shifted my perspective to the enterprise security, how enterprises think so think about security. I got to spend several years as part of the Azure security uh, CTO office for the cloud, basically finding out new opportunities for Microsoft to fix security issues that our top customers were thinking about. Um, so that's kind of how, how I got to 
both security but then later security in terms of uh, what is important for the enterprise or for the largest of organizations out there very cool so uh, Michael so thanks again for joining us as I mentioned our topic today is uh, no code or low code so for our uh, listeners and, and those who are watching on the video, what is no code? What is low code? Yeah, so that's a, that's a very good question. And actually, it is kind of something that is, uh, that is changing as the industry grows. Um, low code, no code is, is means a lot of, a lot of things, a lot of different things for, for many different people. Uh, but when you try to think about it, and especially from the enterprise perspective, first of all, you need to make a distinction between uh, platforms that are dedicated low-code, dedicated low-code, no-code platforms. Uh, so you have your Appians, your Mandix, your Zapier, IFTTT. Um, those are uh, kind of platforms that are, uh, that, are, that are either a glue between different applications or they could be uh, a way for you to create new business applications. So that's kind of one thing. And another thing entirely is where you have an existing SaaS offering. So imagine a Salesforce, an office, a service now, and they want to expand. So basically they want to, to, to Salesforce, for example, wants to become just more, uh, I mean, today it's much more than a CRM, right? But that's where they start and they want to expand. And so low code gives them the ability to expand above and beyond what they were doing earlier. Today, Salesforce is a platform to develop applications. And so you have these low-code, no-code platforms that are dedicated platforms, like application development platforms, and you have low-code, no-code developed uh, that started as an extendability feature around existing uh, offerings like CRM or ERP. What, what we're seeing uh, in, in recent years is that both these types of low-code, no-code platforms, while they started at focusing, they, while they started... Uh, by allowing professional developers to build faster. So um, you're an application development team. There's a lot that you have to do. Um, Low-code, no-code platforms started as a way for you to basically accelerate your development processes. Uh, so you would, uh, for example, people, when people use Salesforce, they used to go to a partner. Uh, the partner would customize Salesforce for them, and they used to do it with, uh, with code. So Java, Apex. Uh, and other places that, 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 that holds as well. Um, when you, when you, you the reason to, to bring low code, no code into the mix is just because it makes things easier. So there's a lot of building blocks you can, you can uh, pick up and use. Uh, you can, uh, there are processes that are built for you and some of the, the database could be managed for you. The authentication could be managed for you. So that's a way to accelerate. That's how it started. Uh, on the, on the dedicated platform side, there, there are kind of, uh, again, it's, it's not about, uh, extending the CRM, but it's about, uh, creating a specific business process. So you could, uh, you could, for example, make sure that you streamline everything around, uh, receipts or, uh, reimbursement of, 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 uh, kind of, uh, uh, expenses. Uh, that's an example of something that people need to automate. And so they, they, they use these platforms to accelerate their development. The number one thing that we've seen change for both these types of platforms in the last two to three years is that rather than focusing on the professional developers, they have shifted focus to business users. 
And of course, this is not new. People have been trying to empower business users uh, ever since, I mean, since forever, right? Um, so, and, 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 and by the way, some of this has already worked. So think about Excel. This is something that, uh, that has empowered business users. It's actually created new jobs. And it also shows you the kind of opportunity that there is. The, the amazing thing about low-code, no-code today is that platforms are so uh, sophisticated, they, they are actually successful in bringing the same kind of power that they used to bring only to professional development teams. Now they bring this power to the hands of the business users. To and everybody, so yeah. Everybody can build their own applications. That's, uh, that's just an amazing property of those platforms, and that's why they are so important. Yes, yeah, so, so just to, to ensure, I want to kind of read back some of what I heard because I'm, I'm, I'm still processing this idea of low code and, and no code myself personally. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to figure out what buckets I put things into. And so you mentioned Excel. So Excel's macro kind of language and the ability that so so that's a that's an example of low code, or is that no so, code? No, I would say that's code, right? So yeah. The, so go ahead. So that that that, that might be a bit, a bit of a confusing example. That's the Excel example is 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 important to figure out what happens when you when you put more power in the hands of business users. Okay. But low code is actually a bit different. Low code is about. Uh, Basically, simple interfaces, drag and drop. There's a market, marketplace of widgets you can use. Uh, there's a whole bunch of connectors that will connect anywhere for you. And it allows you to very quickly build an application. So uh, you take uh, information from uh, your CRM. You combine it from information with your uh, custom database or maybe your email address. And then you, you output... Uh, you, you output the, the merged results into a spreadsheet. And instead of doing that with code, you do this with drag and building blocks. So that's yeah. no code then in that example, right? If I'm just dragging and dropping things into a, a, a GUI and I'm, I'm dragging a box that says it's going to connect to uh, MailChimp for uh, email marketing purposes to collect, and, and I drag another box that's for my CRM that's going to, then that connection's going to make those email addresses get recorded in my CRM. So that's, so, so that's no code then. From a low code perspective, are, they, are these the same thing? Is no code, low code, is it, are, these, are these synonyms or are they slightly different categories? I'm sorry to, I'm pressing, but I'm trying, and it's only because I, I really don't understand the difference between the two, and I want to make sure I walk away going, ah, I, under, I, want, I want the light bulb to go on over my head here. So the, the traditional kind of, uh, the traditional distinction is that no code is really all about drag and drop, and okay. low code is drag and drop with extendability. Ah, um, okay. So you can, for example, you can create your own steps. If there's no connector, you can create one uh, yourself. You can plug in custom code to do things that are not possible. But when you think about an enterprise, um, an enterprise, when, when a no-code platform becomes enterprise first, the enterprise would push it to add in extendability features, right? Okay. And so that's how no-code becomes more like low-code. And from the other perspective, low-code started as a way for professional developers to, to do things with customization. But of course, they want to reach to the business users. And so they are making things easier. And so they become more like no-code. And that's why 
it's a bit confusing. Yeah, I think it makes sense. You, you've, I, I've got it in my brain. I've got it like segmented into two different categories here. So thank you for that explanation. That's really, really helpful to, because when we start talking about the security, the application security risks that you've identified in, in the new top 10 you created, I think it's helpful to have that frame of reference. But I want to talk about a couple of examples that you, you shared a number of different stories of how low no code intersects with security. And so let's start by tell us about this example with the enterprise users using low no code to bypass DLP <laughs> and read emails <laughs> over Gmail. So yeah, I would lo- I'd love to hear this story. So this is actually, this is a recurring story. Uh, every, every enterprise I ever worked with had some sort of this, uh, of this problem, uh, in the organization. Uh, so let, let me kind of, uh, let me share the example. Basically, uh, security teams have been trying to prevent email exfiltration or exfiltration through email, uh, uh as, since forever, right? Um, and so you have, you can put something on your email, uh, uh, server. You can use a sort, some sort of a DLP solution. And they would look for emails that are being exchanged with another domain. Um, of course, business users all, will always find their way around these controls. And so, uh, this is where a low code kicks in. So instead of forwarding the email, uh, forwarding your email to your personal Gmail, for example, um, which would be caught by a DLP and blocked. What if you, uh, simultaneously you log in to your corporate email and to your Gmail account instead. And, and then instead of forwarding the emails, you, uh, you copy the content of each corporate email and you save it to your Gmail account. And so that's something you can do manually, right? You can do it one time. You'll open up two browsers. You'll copy, you'll copy things between, between here and then. But what if you can use low code to do that automatically for you? And so what we found is that users create these uh, automations that subscribe to every new email that arrives to your corporate account. And when that email arrives, they copy the entire content and save it as an email that they send to themselves in their Gmail account. Yeah, it's brilliant. And, and because, because it's, uh, the, the data is being copied and nothing moves kind of on the wire, right? Um, basically there's no way, there's no way for you to catch it because the only way to really identify that this actually happened is to look inside the local platform that is performing this, this movement of data. Nobody else knows that the data moved from corporate to, to a Gmail account. Wow. Let's let's tell tell us the story about what you've seen with no low code used to operate malware, criminal yeah, so, kind of organizations because that's that's another fascinating connection you're sharing here, and I want to I want to know more about that. So when you think about uh, about low code or no code today, there are uh, there are some properties that are important to understand before you can understand why it's important for an attacker. Why it's why it's uh, it's like a good a good place for an attacker to focus on. First of all, this is SaaS. So like any SaaS, security controls are lacking. Uh, it has compute built in, right? Because this thing is operating on its own. Um, it is also, by definition, connected to business-sensitive data. Uh, so if you have, uh, uh, for example, Power Platform, Microsoft's uh, local platform, it's wrapped around everything Microsoft. So Office... It connects to Azure, wherever you'd like. And so it's a very good place to easily connect across the enterprise. And so um, 
this is actually a story that was uh, identified by Microsoft, Microsoft Detection and Response Team. Basically, they were called in uh, to, to help, uh, to help uh, an organization that understood that they were under some, some sort of a breach, but they couldn't find the attacker. They couldn't kick them out of the network. Um, and they actually looked inside the network for more than six months to identify the attacker. They were not able to find wh where the attackers were. I mean, they found some, some parts, but other parts were still there. After more than six, six months, they found uh, a low-code automation that did something uh, kind of very simple. On a schedule, it would use the e-discovery tools by the, uh, for the Microsoft tenant to look around the tenant inside SharePoint and, te and, and Teams and email for, uh, for secrets, uh, for, for uh, sensitive data, and would just collect all of that data and then send it off to an, to an exfiltration endpoint. And that's kind of a very simple automation, right? A couple of steps, you, you use these features, you send the information out there. But because this automation lives inside the uh, low-code, no-code platform, specifically here, Microsoft's Power Platform, it's not within your tenant. You won't find the uh, network uh, traffic going to that exfiltration endpoint. In order to figure out that this is happening, you need to actually know that this automation even exists and then figure out what it's doing. And so when they, uh, when they finally found it and they did the investigation, uh, here's what they found out. First of all, the attackers were able to gain access by kind of the, a simple phishing campaign. And they got, this got them access to an admin account within that organization. So a, a global admin uh, uh, for the AAD tenant. But then instead of doing the thing that uh, kind of the, of going down the normal route of installing malware, moving laterally through the network, which is where security teams focus as well. Instead of doing all of that, they simply created the automation that they just uh, elaborated on uh, a moment ago. And so this, this made this, this made it this basically the, the perfect way to, uh, to maintain persistency because mm. nobody's looking. Wow. So yeah, it's a whole new avenue that uh, no, nobody's really thought about. And so um, I just want to clarify for our audience, there's many, many positive ways to use low-code, no-code. <laughs> We've just shared two stories, examples from Michael's uh, history of things that I don't want someone to be like sitting here right now going, I'm never using low, no-code. It's only used by criminals and exfiltrators of email. Right, like There's a lot of positive cases for enabling the business users to be able to create uh, connections between different platforms and and prov add value to the business. It's not just for criminal activity. <laughs> so, so actually, I I, I think uh, that's a, that that was a really good point to bring up here. Um, we work so I work with a lot of uh, large organizations and uh, my company as well, and also kind of as part of the OWASP project. And the amount of uh, business value that business users are able to bring into organizations with low code, no code, it's just, it's just, uh, it's just amazing. So you'll think people from uh, HR, from finance, from sales, from customer success, they are uh, finding problems that prevent them to succeed as a business and they just fix it. They don't wait for anybody else. They can just move forward and the, va the value is enormous, but that's also why it's so important to do things in a secure way uh, yeah. because, because once things become business critical, 
security has to be involved. Keep security top of mind with continuous application security training for your developers. Security Journey offers bite-sized lessons with hands-on interactive training for all roles in the SDLC. Give your admins the ability to use pre-built or custom training paths with easy-to-use tracking and reporting. Visit securityjourney.com to see our solution today. And with that in mind, you know, I was thinking about that, and and again, I've been looking at this for probably a couple of years, just uh, seeing it uh, continue to rise on uh, in terms of uh, usage and so forth. But I also have been thinking about the security perspective. But uh, for our audience, why is it different from a security perspective? So, I mean, one of the things that uh, one of the things that you see when you when, you, when we having so when, when we had uh, uh, conversations with security professionals that are in charge of uh, basically application security or security architects, and they are trying to see whether they can expand their existing approach to low code no code, you very soon find out that all of the basic building blocks that are used to build your security strategy on they don't really exist uh, for low code no code. So uh, you're used to uh, to code scanning. There's no code to scan. Uh, you're used to runtime monitoring. Uh, this is this is running on somebody else's cloud with no way to intercept anything. Um, you're used to be able to do security reviews. The scale of low code, no code, is enormous. We're talking about between 10x and 100x in the number of applications being developed. So. Manual processes won't work. Security reviews won't work. And you're also used to, uh, to the fact that the developers themselves, they are security savvy. So you teach your developers security. You try to evangelize security with your professional developers. Now think about uh, somebody from uh, the customer success team creating the, a connection, and they need to, to, to choose between a, a secure and insecure connection. I mean, it's not their job. They are not supposed to know how to store credit cards. They need to fix their business problem. They, they are the experts at the business problem. But we're kind, we've kind of left them exposed to choose the things that we expect developers to choose. Or, or, and, or, and even for developers, we have so many things that help them uh, identify mistakes and uh, that protect them. And, and, and for, secure, uh, for business users, it's simply not there. And so... It's, it's both in terms of the tooling that simply will not work, but also, and, and much more importantly, this is uh, the scale and the types of developers that are building these, uh, these applications. They are completely different. So we need to basically work together with them. We need to make it easy and simple for business users to make the right choice. We need to, uh, to put guardrails around the way that business users are operating so they don't have to think about security. But when something might happen, when they create some sort of an issue, we need to be able to guide them in the right direction in a language they understand, which is, of course, very different from a language that a security professional, would, uh, a developer would understand. Do you have an example? Like, like what would you say to someone who's building a, a no-code, low-code solution and help them understand a security uh, issue, let's say? Sure. So I think one of the things that, uh, one of the examples that I find uh, most illuminating is that when you look at the way that um, 
I mean, maybe let, I'll take a step back here to just to figure out why this happened, uh, why this happens. Low-code, no-code platforms try to expand within organizations, right? They they need to be able to. Uh, I mean, they 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 need to. It's it needs to be easy to create these applications. If uh, but when you think about uh, professionally developed uh, applications developed by professional developers. They every time they create a new, new application, there's a process to acquire permissions for that application, right? You need to set up an identity for the application, and then you need somebody from IT or security or somewhere to approve that the application could exist and it can do uh, certain things. If any low-code, no-code application would need to go through the same process, there would be no way for people to develop uh, to to uh, for this to kind of rapidly expand within the organization. And so the way that this is handled is that low-code, no-code platforms allow you as the maker of an application to embed your own identity within the application. And so let's say uh, I create an application that uh, is, is plugging in that data from Salesforce. I don't have the ability to now create some sort of a service account with Salesforce. Instead, I will choose my own, I, I will log into Salesforce the authentication token will be saved somewhere. And then you get a, ma- a, a kind of a magic happens and the local platforms allow you to share that authentication token or that uh, authenticated session with somebody else. And so the way that this hands, ends up happening is that the maker would create an application, embed their own identity within that application, share it with somebody else. And then every user that uses the application ends up using the maker's identity in every underlying core. And so when you think about it from the network perspective, from the SOC perspective, there's no application, right? There's this single user that is being used across the enterprise to do a whole sort of thing, a whole sort of uh, queries. Uh, there, there's no way for the, for the network logs to show you or for the API logs to show you that there are different users behind this application or that this application even exists. So that's Michael. That sounds to me like a flaw in the platform, though. If the platform allows me to drop in an authentication token and then use that authentication token, share it with other entities, or it becomes a central authentication token that other users in my organization can use, to me that sounds like a platform issue. In that there's a lack of security thought that went into the architecture of the the platform itself that's providing the service. So what? How does that? Does that? Do you agree with that, or do you? Is there something I'm missing? So it's valid. It's valid criticism on on the way that platforms have been built, but the reality is that today this is the uh, this is the way the, the vast majority of uh, local no code platforms operate, and for good reason. It, they operate this way because there are valid use cases to share those connections. So imagine a development team, they want, they are, they set up their, uh, connection to, uh, the, uh, ERP, uh, uh, one time, and then everybody in the, in the development team can use it. Um, the problem becomes when these kind of, uh, this kind of easy way to share credentials becomes uh, something that business users can pick up and use. And so, for example, uh, Microsoft has this, uh, Microsoft Power Platform has this notion of a default environment. That's kind of the, kind of imagine you open up the platform for the first time. That's, that's where they, that, that's what will open up for you. Users can 
uh, I mean by mistake or, uh, uh, or not, they can create a connection and share it across the, across the organization, which means with everybody that has access to the default environment. So in some cases, you'll find connections to, you know, somebody's, somebody's Outlook account, somebody's Teams account, and they're just lying there. So it's, it's, it's true that um, the way that is, I mean, every new platform has uh, new risks that come with it. There are valid reasons to share uh, connections in order to create applications that are kind of uh, robust and you only, only need to create those connections once. But it's about, but, but the customers or the people building the applications, they are in charge of what they actually build. Right? They are in charge of making sure that they build, that they build things in a secure way. Yeah. And so, uh, that, so we, so the OWASP top 10, for example, is focused on that, on the, on the customer side of the shared responsibility model rather than the platforms. Yeah. Yeah. And I could see, you know, the, if I'm building a no low code platform, my, First priority is simplicity and ease of use for the business users. Me as a security engineer, my first priority is not <laughs> ease of use and simplicity for the business users. It's protecting the data that we have in the system. And so it sounds like there might be some tension in the platforms that exist right now. Um, but I mean, we, we've kind of, we've kind of teased or out the OWASP top 10, the new to top 10 you've, you've put together here. And I think we've, we've teased it out long enough. It's time to dive into it. And so, um, you've, you've put together this new project, the OWASP top 10 for no code and low code specifically. And so let, let's, let's just dive into how'd you come up with this top 10? Why this top 10? Did you just, you know, how'd you come up with a list of 10 things that, uh, that are on this list today. Sure. So, um, when we started working with, uh, when we started focusing on, on, on low code, no code, and, and how do you think about it from a security perspective? Uh, and we, we worked with many different organizations, well, we're still working with many organizations, um, some large, some, some smaller, some uh, across the industry. And one thing that is, um, that is, has become clear is that, uh, it's really important to make it easier for the entire industry. We need to understand what are the top risks and how do we think about uh, low-code, no-code security? What are the things that we, uh, to your point earlier, what should we uh, ask the platforms to do? And what is our job as the people using low-code, no-code? Because, um, I mean, you remember when we, I, when we started kind of thinking about cloud and cloud security, Everybody was saying, hey, uh, AWS, Azure, GCP, you should, so you should solve all of the security problems in the cloud. Of course, today we understand that that's not really what's going to happen. There's a shared responsibility model. They will build secure building blocks. You're in charge of what you're building. The same thing applies for low-code, no-code, but then there's a serious question. I mean, okay, so I, I, I want to be in charge. What do I need to look out for? So what are the things that, that people are doing that create that create vulnerabilities um, for my organization. So we started working with a lot of these uh, large corporations we, and actually uh, some of the uh, kind of the, the top 10 actually emerged from uh, scanning uh, hundreds of thousands of low-code, no-code applications. Um, and this is uh, information that comes from, from Zenity, from, uh, from uh, my company. And so with this, with this scan results, We've been able to identify what actually happens 
within large organizations and then categorize it in a way that uh, that can drive meaningful uh, mitigation and we've also been very fortunate to have uh, other people from 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 the industry joining us in the OS project so we have people from uh, Palo Alto and from Microsoft uh, and and other kind of uh, have started collaborating us recently um, because this is this, there's really a lack of uh, there's really a need to understand better where we should focus and so the OS top 10 for low code no code is focused on what on on what can happen when you build low-code, no-code applications incorrectly? What kind of, uh, of problems you can introduce into your business? And the important thing is that most of these problems are about the business logic of the application. We are not looking for uh, kind of uh, CVEs or anything that is, uh, that is kind of very, very clear from, the, uh, uh, from what we, we used to know in application security. We're looking for applications that simply doesn't, don't, don't make sense. They, they might be sharing identities. They might be moving data outside of the organizational boundary, but it's all about the business logic of the, act- of the mm. application. I love to hear that we have something focused on the business logic because so much of AppSec has been focused on the non-business logic. Like Robert and I are both, you know, gigantic proponents for threat modeling because threat mod, the value in threat modeling is being able to, you can't write a tool that detects business logic in regular code. So it's a bit of a soapbox for me. I'm going to step down off my soapbox now, but I, I really, I love the fact that you're talking about, Hey, this is a top 10 list that's focused on business logic problems because that's really where a lot of our vulnerability lies today. You know, you look at, I'm really going to go off on a soapbox moment here, but you know, you look at the, a lot of people have been studying the exploitability of CVEs. <laughs> and, and I believe some of the research that I've seen that a lot of the CVEs we get worked up about aren't exploitable. You can't, nobody can, nobody can exploit them, but we all get excited and we make a marketing page for, and a logo for, you know, some new CVE and everybody gets all spun up and, oh, well, it's actually not really that exploitable. In, in production applications. It's kind of code that's hidden. You can't really get to it. And so the fact that you're talking about business logic is just a powerful moment. That really, really resonated with me. Didn't mean to interrupt, but you know, I, I went off on a bit of a tangent here. I, I think that, um, I mean, one of the things that is most exci- exciting for me about the intersection of low-code, no-code, and security is that, I mean, low-code, no-code is really something that is trying to replace this kind of uh, copy and paste integration. And so think about business users kind of just moving data from here to there, sharing credentials. These are things that as security teams, we never had visibility into. And it's not like we didn't try. Like we tried with DLP, we tried with a whole bunch of things, nothing worked. Now, if we push, if, if, if we, uh, if, so for the security perspective, imagine that now everybody uses low code, no code, to do these kind of integrations. All of a sudden, there's somewhere you can ask, you can ask questions. You can go to this platform and ask, hey, what are we business users are doing? There was no API to do that when people were just copying data. So if we do this right as security teams, if we plug into those platforms, and if we are the ones that are pushing for business users to enable those platforms, to use those platforms, this will bring us a whole level of visibility we never had as security teams to understand how the business actually operates. So there's a very, there's a huge opportunities for us as security teams to finish off in a place much better than we start, than where we started. Yeah. I just have one fear though. 
if we get so far deep into no low code, we're going to put Stack Overflow out of business. Because that's where people <laughs> go to copy and paste solutions right now. Like I just had this epiphany. I'm like, you know, where, that, that's where everybody goes to get their bad, their, their insecure code. Stay <laughs> still. Their sample code and <laughs> with all the comments still left in and all that. Yeah. <laughs> So, Michael, uh, you have, uh, I mean, I, I really love this list. Uh, it's the OWASP top 10 uh, for low-code, no-code security risks. And the first security risk that you have listed is account impersonation. Could you take us through that a bit? Sure. So so account impersonation is focused exactly on the, on the risk that I alluded to earlier, where uh, users can basically use somebody else's identity or share their own identity with, uh, within an application. And let me give you a concrete example. I, I kind of uh, touched on, on that uh, uh, a few more, uh, kind of a few minutes ago, but let me give you a concrete example. So with one uh, organization uh, that we've been working with, they had uh, their customer success team, basically they had a problem where people were, were uh, trying to help with a business case, with a, with a customer support case, uh, but they didn't have the right context because they didn't have access to the customer success kind of uh, software. So they, they were not able to understand kind of uh, what happened with the customer before. So the customer success team uh, created an application that allowed every user to uh, get information about the, uh, this, the cases that they, were, that they were tied to. So if you, if you uh, help with a specific customer case, you can go into this low-code application built by the customer success team and fetch information about the relevant customer. Now, the way that this, hap that this worked is that the customer success manager just plugged in their own credentials to the application. And so everybody was underlying be behind the application was using that customer success managers, their own identity to fetch information from the, uh, uh, from the customer database. Now, Imagine this from the SOC perspective. Actually, you don't really need to imagine because the SOC got an alert telling that, that kind of identified that there is one user going to the customer database from multiple IPs, from multiple uh, different machines across the enterprise, fetching information about different customers. This looks like a hack, right? And there's no way, again, to find out that there's actually an application behind it. So, so, so of course, they reach out to this person from the customer success team, which, and, they, and it took them a, a kind of a few moments to understand, hey, this is actually what's going on. So people are using this user's own credentials by using this application without even knowing it. So when I look at these, you've got, you know, I'm, I'm looking at one of these examples. You've got a description where you, which you just shared with us, a couple of uh, ex example attack scenarios that we've, we've unpacked a few of those. Then you've got this section called how to prevent. And so give us some, give us some context on how to prevent encounter impersonation from what you've described in the top 10 here. Sure. So preventing this kind of, uh, preventing low code, no code issues because the, the issues are about the business logic. The prevention is about the business logic too. It means that you need to understand what actually business users are building and try to put guardrails around it to point them in the right direction. So some platforms have a way to limit uh, credential sharing. Some platforms have a way for you to, uh, um, to, to, for example, you could say nobody can share a connection with the entire organization, or you can just review the list of connections that have been shared. I mean, across different users. 
Um, another thing that you that you that you can do is that most of these platforms do have a way to do things kind of the proper way. So you can use a service account in order to 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 kind of to embed in this application. It's simply a matter of whether you have done this or not. So you need to make sure when there's an application that is actually being used by an organization, by by the organization, to make sure that that the underlying connections are not uh, somebody's personal connections. And so for you to do that, you need to figure out which platforms your users are actually using and also what applications they have built on top of these platforms. Okay, so then the third one on the list, just so we can expose the listeners to a little bit more from the list, I mean, they, their their homework is going to be to go re- read the list and, and internalize it and understand it. But number three is data leakage. So give us give us some perspective on data leakage. So a lot of uh, a lot of low code no code applications uh, move data around. So applications are of course only only as impactful as the data that they touch. Uh, and so, and the identity they do it with. And so you have lots of applications that are, uh, subscribing to changes in one, on one endpoint. So for example, every new file on a SharePoint list, and then they'll, uh, uh, kind of crunch, crunch that file and maybe send a notification in teams. And so data could be moving from this, uh, from, from SharePoint to teams. Now there's a, a, a large question there. Uh, who's, which organization owns that teams, uh, uh, that, that teams instance and which organization owns the SharePoint site, right? Because it's, it's, it's fine that it's kind of, uh, I mean, both are Microsoft, but are, do they belong to your organization? And so in many cases, we find, uh, uh, we find that local platforms are used to move data outside of the organizational boundary. By the way, a lot of time it happens by mistake. So, uh, somebody would create a useful application. And it would just be easy for them to use uh, a spreadsheet in their own personal Gmail account to hold some of that application's data. Because why not? I mean, the, the platform allows it. Um, and so in many cases, the, uh, you'll find that there's a mix between business identities and personal identities, but also business data and non-business data. And even within the business, I mean, uh, especially in large enterprises, there's a real distinction between business from one business unit, another business unit, a types of sensitivity for that data, right? Low-code, no-code uh, platforms don't really comply with that. They connect wherever you connect them, and they allow you to basically, again, copy and paste that data automatically, and so your existing controls will not be able to catch it. So we, we do find this kind of again and again, and, and the uh, bypassing DLP with the email forwarding is, is one, one example of that happening. Yeah, so there's a lot more here to look at, and as uh, Chris said, definitely for our listeners, go take a look. Uh, but that leads us into uh, our final uh, key takeaways and call to action. So, Michael, for our listeners, do you have uh, some good uh, key takeaways uh, as well as a call to action for us? Sure. So I think we covered a lot, uh, a lot of ground around low code, no code, and I, and I recognize that in many cases, people are. are um, People are still, I mean, from the security perspective, this is a new area, right? Uh, the main thing to understand, or the main thing we need to, uh, of course, the security teams, our job is to be enabled, is to enable the business. And our job is to make sure that there is no new risk introduced into the organization, but the business can continue to operate. 
business teams today are using low-code, no-code. This is not a, a choice we get to make. I mean, the largest platforms out there are embedding low-code, no-code within their existing, uh, within their existing uh, offerings, and business units are buying low-code, no-code as well. This is a good thing. It's about enablement. It makes there are there are ten x to a hundred x more business users than pro developers. This is a a great thing for the business. Uh, I mean, uh, which is which is the most important thing. But of course, we need to do things in a secure way and in a responsible way. And so, first of all, we need to understand as security teams that this is business that this is critical and this needs to fall under our umbrella. So if we're leaving it out there for business teams to do on their own, we are, uh, we are failing to find the, the risks that they are introducing. And of course, they will introduce risks because business users are not security professionals. And the other thing that, that and, and once we understand that this is critical and this is something that needs to fall under our umbrella, of course, we need to guide those, those business users to make it easy for them to make the right choices And by doing that, we will get kind of a, we'll get so much more visibility than we that we're used to getting uh, for, on, on how our business actually operates. And even more than that, I mean as security teams, we always try to get buy-in from the business to kind of get on board with security initiatives. This is our chance, right? Business users are, they need our help right now. To do the things that they need to do in a correct way they would they don't they don't want to be scared about the security implications of the things that they're doing and so this is our chance to show that them that we can provide value and also to get their buying uh to get on board with the security team yeah partner partnership with the business between security and the business is really going to be the true metric of success here for low note low code no code in the enterprise like if you don't have that partnership it's just it's it's going to be a, a, a it's going to be a battle the entire time it's going to make a lot of people unhappy so michael thank you so much for for educating us about no no code low code and you know your experiences and stories as you've as you've seen it play out and then Thanks for your work on this new OWASP Top 10. I think it's very valuable, and I've learned a lot about this. I'm going to go study that list more closely now, um, now that I've got this, con this conceptual framework for uh, how all these things fit together. But we really appreciate you being a part of uh, the podcast and sharing your knowledge with our listeners. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. This has been a lot of fun. None of the top 50 university programs teach secure coding in their curriculum. At Security Journey, we help enterprises reduce vulnerabilities through application security education for developers and everyone in the SDLC. With over 400 up-to-date lessons created by industry-leading security experts and a programmatic approach that creates security champions, our program has increased AppSec knowledge as much as 85%. Visit securityjourney.com to try our training today.